Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Everybody's got a Bible or has it memorized. I am impressed. So so impressed. That's awesome. You guys are beast. Let me get the clicker. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Great volunteers. Okay, if you guys were with us last week, you know that we started off a brand new series called Big Problems, Bigger God. And we started talking about a God who came to talk to Moses, a stammering, highly educated, but no longer hanging out with the rich and powerful elites of Egypt because he might have sort of a killed a guy and run away, kind of a guy, you know, like happens on your weekend. So let's recap briefly where we've been. For those of you that weren't filling in your blanks last week, but to jog our memory, because I know a lot's been going on this last week. We saw just in Exodus 3 alone, God's authority is so big that the laws of physics obey him, Right? He can show up as a flame and not destroy the bush that he's inhabiting. Does that make sense? No, you say no, right? Say no. No, it doesn't make sense. Except that if he is above all the laws of thermodynamics and physics, that's the only way that it makes sense. Okay? And, and we didn't get into this, but have we seen this before? Say yes. All throughout the Bible, the people of God can see fire and it moves and we follow it, right? The Magi see some, like, they follow it. Like, we've seen this before. Pentecost, fire, what? You know, we've seen this before, okay? He's above the physical world. His knowledge is so big, he calls you by name. This fire says, Moses, Moses. They haven't had a conversation before, not to Moses' knowledge. His holiness is so big that the environment around him, he says, the dirt you're standing on is holy. Why? Because I'm here. Goodness, this is a big God. And it's so big that his success, that your success primarily depends on his presence. Not your skill set, not your knowledge, not the degree that you got, not who you know, not your connections. <laughs> is God there? And, and we see this. Um, I know that you woke up this morning going, oh, I hope Pastor Greg references some really obscure Bible story. Israel goes to war yet again with the Philistines and they lose the Ark of the Covenant. And in that battle, uh, Eli's two uh, grandsons are born. And the mother who is dying in the process, she names her sons, uh, I'm sorry, one of the sons, she names him, where is the glory? Because the glory of the people she, she was more horrified, and what's crazy about the story is that it's after, she'd already heard about her husband dying, she was more horrified to hear about the loss of the ark. Like, your husband is a big deal, especially in that culture. The ark was gargantuan. The presence of Yahweh amongst his people, he's gone. Everything rises and falls on his presence with us. And his presence had been abused. They took him into battle. They saw, or so they thought. They thought they could take God into battle like a good luck charm to guarantee victory. And God said, oh, really? We're, we're going to see who's really in charge here when I show you if I can be manipulated. Anybody, you safe place. Anybody here ever tried to manipulate God to get what you want out of him? Yeah. My hand's up. Anyway. God, if you do this one thing for me, I will. Yeah, we call it bargaining. God's love is so big, he chose to deliver you. That is the cross of Jesus. His love is so big, his power is so big. So this is kind of the foundation of this series. We have a big God that addresses these big problems. That's our recap. Today is part two, the strong one and Samson. If you're new to church, that makes no sense to you whatsoever. So let me catch you up to speed. Some of us were lied to in the late 80s with a felt board. 
Judy, I'm going to bring you along. I promise. Don't give me that look. Some of us missed the felt board, and I'm going to bring you all along. Some of us had a really great Sunday school teacher who's well-intentioned, but she did not design Samson, the cutout of what Samson was supposed to look like, this Old Testament character who was a judge of Israel. Samson came in the mail. You ordered him from Lifeway or whoever else, along with Eli and Elijah and Abraham or whatever. A lot of them, if you're honest, was just a dude with a beard. They kind of all looked the same, if you're honest. And this is the Apostle Paul. That's Abraham. There's Apostle Paul this week. Stop it. Um, Samson, though, you knew who Samson was because they put all these muscles on him. And if you grew up hearing that story, or that story, when I say story, your teacher didn't have to say anything because the felt by him be, being physically portrayed as strong, you were kind of deceived by seeing that image. I was. We were accidentally deceived by seeing an image that the Bible simply doesn't say. The whole point of Samson's strength is that the Holy Spirit of the living God came onto him, not that he worked out. Like we're missing the entire point. There was no CrossFit in Israel 3,000 years ago. He did not hit the gym four hours a day. That was not the point. And even if you want to spiritualize it, there's nothing strong about this guy. He's disregarding God's authority at every possible opportunity. He's flagrant to say the least, which we're about to see. Where are we going to see strength? Where are we going to see honor? We're going to see it from God's behavior pretty consistently. We're going to see that Samson's parents are, seem to be godly people. That's cool. But God is the one who is faithful. So, turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 13. This is page 215, 215 in the hardback that we passed out. Judges chapter 13. So let me connect the dots from last week. Last week, God says to Moses, you're going to deliver my people out of Egypt. A whole lot happens, but basically God does what he says he's going to do because God doesn't lie. Takes Israel into the promised land. There's this period where he conquers the people. He, God conquers the people that he said he was going to help them conquer. This is the land I promised to give you. And the judgment of those people was something that had been talked about all the way back in Genesis. He said, these people, I'm going to give them another three, 400 years to repent. They never did repent. He said, fine, I'm judging them, and I'm giving their land to my people, Israel. Gives them that land. Now, Moses is long gone, Joshua is long gone, and there's this period of a few hundred years where Israel does not yet have kings, but Joshua is dead. It's called the period of the judges, found in this book called Judges. And to, to give you the whole book, really, in kind of one sentence... The book just shows you the brokenness of human leadership. These judges, some of them are good and some of them are bad, but it just shows you it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And the writer of the book is trying to convince you of that because the writer keeps telling you, in those days Israel kept doing what was right in their own eyes. The writer is hundreds of years later saying, you, you need to know how, how poorly things were going it was going bad. So Samson isn't there as a tale of heroism of, oh, be like Samson. That's not the point of the author at all. But let's take a look at this. We get an entire chapter before Samson's even born, and we're going to read it together right now, chapter 13. And actually, much of our sermon is going to come from God's faithfulness leading up to Samson's birth. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. 
You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The woman ran and told her husband, A man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels, terrifying to see. I didn't ask where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he told me, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or, nor eat any forbidden food. For your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let the, the man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about this son who is to be born. God answered Manoah's prayer, and the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. So she quickly ran and told her husband, The man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, Are you the man who spoke with my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, When your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, Be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, or eat any forbidden food. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I will stay, the angel of the Lord replied, but I will not eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. So time out real quick so you understand what's going on there. This angel should just showed up. Let me tell you what's normal in the Bible in case you're new to the Bible. What is normal in the Bible is an angel shows up to deliver a message the human being is terrified. The angel says, don't be afraid. And oftentimes the human being falls on their face and starts worshiping. They've simply never seen anything like this. And an angel of God, because they are sinless, otherwise they would be a demon, they say, do not worship me, get up. Okay? This angel says, I don't need to eat anything, but go ahead and prepare a sacrifice to worship the Lord referring to himself. That's why the text has called him the angel of the Lord, like uses capital letters, okay? If you want your 50 cent theological word of the day, this is called a Christophany. Theologians will just say, this is Jesus showing up before Christmas, before, the whole, before Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord shows up a few times in the book of Judges. This is Jesus fashioning his people, leading his people well before we know him as Messiah, okay? So he's, he's willing to receive worship, which a demon would do, but he's saving and protecting and shepherding, so we know he's not a demon, okay? Verse 17, then Manoah asked the angel of the Lord, what is your name for when, whew, sorry, this is a big one, here it comes. What is your name for when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied. It is too wonderful for you to understand. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering and offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel did not appear again to Manoah and his wife. Manoah finally realized it was the angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die for we have seen God. But his wife said, if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. When her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in however the heck you say that word, which is located near the towns of Zorah and Ashtael. Lord Jesus, would you please teach us the word of God today? In your great name we pray. Amen. Note takers. I'm going to have to be fast. I have a lot of material today, a lot of stories. God is bigger than our deepest hurts. This is your first blank. God is bigger than our deepest hurts. <coughs> Excuse me. 
Did you hear the pre-incarnate Christ just come up to a woman who had been unable to have kids and say, you're going to have a son? Hmm? Now, those of you who've read the Bible a time or five or 30, help out the rest of us who are newer to the Bible. I know we need your help right now. All 66 books help us understand. Does God promise deliverance from the pains and hurts of this world? I have a no from an elder, so that's, that's a good one. I have another no. I have two elder no's. So it's big. Okay. Right? We worship a savior who went to a cross. So the whole like save you from suffering thing kind of rings hollow. Okay. So the the brokenness of the world that was unleashed when we rebelled against our creator in Genesis 3, this is something, this is the mess that we are in until the very end of the book. Okay? It is at the end of the book where it says, and God will wipe away every tear. Okay? And we see God entering into our pain and our mess by taking on flesh, by becoming a human he becomes like us and faces all the same temptations as us, right? He's got his own infinitely wise plan for how to deal with the deepest hurts. He experiences them. He doesn't stand aloof and above them. He's a God with skin. But the reason I point it out is because this God shows up and he's just clearly bigger than this family's deepest hurts. It's not a promise for how every deep hurt is going to necessarily get addressed in this world. It's just simply not. There are no promises that we are going to be delivered from pain. David said, I know that you are with me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not, you're going to pluck me out and I don't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I just, ah, I just love my shepherd. He's so good. I know that he'll be with me. What a good shepherd I have. He'll be with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He's basically saying, it's going to be scary, there will be wolves, but my shepherd's amazing and he has a big stick. The world's dark and scary and full of pain and my shepherd is loving and he has a big stick. I'll tell a story of the Kaiser family. Let's try to make this brief because we don't have tons of time. I was 19 the first time I believed that God was telling me to go plant a church one day. Got connected with a network called the Acts 29 Church Planting Network. And Emily and I, with some friends, found ourselves at a church planters conference in Dallas, Texas, where we were not just learning what they had to say, but we were undergoing an assessment where they looked through every part of your life and your character and grill you. Back then, it was a little rough and tumble. It was, it was a little bit like hazing back then. But in the end, that assessment was a lot of grace from God because we were really young. We'd been married less than a year, very... Um, <laughs> wet behind the ears, and uh, we got invited to go pick up from where we were in Sacramento and go live up just up the road in Auburn with one of the churches where their pastor was one of our assessors. And they basically just said, hey, would you come and hang out at, at our church for a couple of years and see how we do things? We have some books we want you to read. We want you to basically intern with us for a couple of years. And so... We did that and we wanted to learn and grow and be reassessed in a couple of more years. And I'm, I'm leaving out so many details because we don't have all day and it's just not worth the trouble. <laughs> I love you guys too much <laughs> to take you through the whole thing. But what you need to know is we had started the move back to Sacramento and we had gathered a group of friends. Honestly, looking back, I felt like God had. We had um, a church of 24 adults and eight precious children that were gathering every few weeks in our living room. 
in an apartment in Sacramento as we were making the transition back from Auburn, and we were going through the assessment a second time. And after that assessment, you get this notification about whether or not they let you into the network. Um, and it's hard to um, express the emotional magnitude of this assessment, but it's a, it's a lot like whether or not you get let into the cool kids club. And I got notified through an email. No, you don't get to join the cool kids club. And it was basically, no, you don't get to plant a church. No, your church doesn't exist. You don't fit the first Timothy three qualification of an elder. If you ever gather again, you're in sin. You need to tell your, your flock to go join one of our churches because we're legitimate and you're not. What am I supposed to go do with myself? When I, I was really sure this is what God's been telling me to do for like the last seven years. This is what he's been saying. And for sure, are there people throughout history who's like, God said, and they were really wrong because they slaughtered 100,000 people? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We don't want to play the God card. But when you're in your mid-20s, are you totally lost? Upside, up is down and down is up. Like, what, what now, God? And God in his mercy, because I had no idea what else to do, I got a job as a truck driver. I was hurt. I was reeling. I did not know what I was supposed to do next. But I had a sneaking suspicion about what was on that truck for me, going all through the Continental 48. I knew that Jesus was the only one who was going to be with me on the truck. I knew it. And I didn't last long because people who actually love their wives, they don't want to be away from their wife that much. And so I was only out there seven months. But I had some forgiving to do. I had some real forgiving to do from people who had hurt me. That I felt had sinned against me. Had sinned against my church. That had dropped a bomb in the middle of my church and blown it to smithereens. And you know what I knew for seven months out on the road? I'm not allowed to put my hands around the throat of a guy who owes me 30 bucks after the king forgives me of my million dollar debt. Now that one will haunt you. Seven months out there and the Holy Spirit's going, hey Greg, you're upset about $30. Hey Greg, you're upset about $30. Hey Greg, you're upset about $30. God was bigger than that wound before it happened. He was bigger than it while it happened. And a decade later where I'm still going, Lord, show me my heart. Have I really forgiven? God, would you please help me? Have I really forgiven? Have I let go of that? He's still bigger. He's bigger. Suffering, this is the verse that makes it onto the coffee cup. The three verses in front of this are all about suffering, and that's why they don't make it onto the coffee cup. Suffering, suffering, suffering. And we know that God causes everything to work together, even the bad days, even the bad years, even the bad decades, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Who, he's being really eloquent here. Who love, loves God and are called according to his purpose? Who's that? Christians. The church. People who are in covenant with God because of the blood of Jesus. Even the darkest things. And this is a guy who's going to be beheaded for being a Christian. He is bigger than the dark circumstances. So I can worship him from a mountaintop and I can worship him in a valley. This God is recession-proof. I do not have to go decide to be an atheist the minute the doctor tells me bad news. 
That happens all the time, by the way. It happens at churches where we're afraid to tell people that God is not promising health and wealth all the time. God is bigger than your joys. He is bigger than your sorrow. He is with you in the joys. He is with you in the sorrow. The call to action, trust Jesus with your wounds and tell him that you trust him with your wounds. I want to encourage you if you love Jesus. Some of you need to close your eyes and just imagine Jesus sitting in front of you and tell him, maybe you've never told him before, about the thing, your red truck. You ha- everybody has a red truck, by the way. Some of you have five. Jesus, I trust you with that. Jesus, I don't know if I've said it in 20 years, but I trust you with that. Jesus, it's hard. I want to put my hands back on it. I want to control it. But I trust you with that. Jesus, that hurts too much. It's just bigger than me. It scares me to trust you with that. Help me to trust you with that. Could Manoah's wife do anything other than trust the angel of the Lord when he says, you're going to have a son? Could she control anything? She couldn't control anything. Second, God is bigger than our understanding. Did you notice the contrast from Exodus 3? If you wonder, listen, I'm going to use a really aged analogy because we don't really trade baseball cards anymore. These have all gone the way of the dodo. But um, if you were a good Jewish boy in the first century in Jesus' time, a, a Moses rookie card was about as good as it got. Okay? Because when God, Moses got to hear God's name, and we grow up in Sunday school perhaps, and we think, well, yeah, of course, I am that I am. That's cool, you know? No, 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 that was really special for Moses to hear that. Manoah and his wife get the more standard answer. Um, Why do you ask? It's probably far more wonderful than I think you could understand. My name's too wonderful for you to understand. Me explaining my ways to you, Job, would be beyond your understanding, so that's why I didn't explain them. You need to trust me. We could trace all throughout scripture all the ways where Jesus, where God is just inviting us to trust him because there are so many things we're not going to possibly understand. And he's telling us to just look at his goodness and go, you can see from my character there's a consistent pattern of me caring for you. So you're going to have to trust the areas where you don't understand and you can't see. You're going to make it. It's going to be all right. I've proven over and over how much I love you that I'm going to care for you. Think of... Uh, the first time, if you've taken kids or grandkids on Peter Pan's flight, Disney Plus has this really wonderful uh, expose about how these different rides are made and stuff and showing the Imagineers how they, about seven or eight years ago, they went in and used, uh, not LED, what's it called, fiber optics, and they went in and all those lights are even brighter now, from, lit from down beneath and not shining in to control more light in the room. And they talk about how if we do our job, science is operating so well that science appears like magic. Right? Magic is what Disney always talks about. And we all know it's science. But if you're bringing a five-year-old to fly across London and the the five-year-old doesn't understand fiber optics, okay? God just said to Manoah and his wife, why are you asking my name? Why do you want to understand it? The, the level of wonder that you experience, I, I don't know if you could understand if I explained it to you. See, there's this guy named Moses. I told him my name, and he still had a lot of questions. <laughs> Anybody here consider themselves particular with their grammar? 
I definitely, I'm the, I'm the grammar fiend in my house, okay? How would you like it if you asked God his name and he says, I am that I am? <laughs> always have been and am imminently now, always will be, right? There are things that are beyond your understanding. If you love Jesus, choose comfort in knowing the God who knows. Do you know how much joy in the Christian life could come from this one choice? You know how you could sleep? The only way to enjoy Peter's pan flight is to trust that that thing's not going to fall and you're going to (laughs) die. I'm just going to trust that the Imagineers know what they're doing, that we're going to have fun, the music's going to work, and the lights are going to work, it'll be great. God is running his world. And even in the dark parts, he's with me. And the end of the story is amazing. Third, you know God is bigger than your sin. Dang Christian preacher keeps talking about me being a sinner. I knew this was going to happen. This whole section where Manoah realizes it's the angel of the Lord, certainly we will die for we have seen God. He's not making this up, by the way. God had said in Leviticus, no man can see me and live. This was right there in the law. Okay? Again, part of what makes Moses amazing, part of the reason Moses' face shines, it, it was a whole bunch of reasons why Moses' entire ministry was this very special invitation into a type of intimacy with God that was not normally going to be allowed. So Manoah says, we're going to die. And his wife has some really interesting thoughts, doesn't she? Her argumentation is airtight, okay? If the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. Okay? The offering is representative of the person and now representative of the relationship. You can't accept the, you cannot accept my offering and then still smite me. That's the whole point of the Levitical system. If you accepted my offering, you accepted me. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. Look, everything he's done is grace. I understand what the Levitical law said. I know we should have been toast. But everything was miraculous grace. So I know it blows our mind. But it doesn't look like he's going to kill us. The thing is about being the God who is allowed to write all the rules. He is the giver of the law. And then the Pharisees really, really have a cow over and over again in the ministry of Jesus. They don't allow Jesus, the God man, when he says, help me interpret the law for you. And the Pharisees are like, you can't do that. I'm God. I can do that. When he says over and over again, you're interpreting the, the law wrong. Let me show you. Let me show you. God can any time that he wants show us the way that we're interpreting the law wrong and he can show us where he's pointing forward toward the cross. And right here, he chooses two people that he wants to be gracious toward. He chooses not to smite them and he chooses to allow a goat to die. He chooses to allow a sacrifice. He chooses to accept that sacrifice. And we know that the entire sacrificial system is pointing forward to the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus is the reason, ultimately, that the people of God don't die. All of the people of God are sons of Abraham by faith. And our sins demand that somebody dies. We can die for our sin, or somebody can die for us. And that is the Christian gospel. Jesus offers, I will die because of your sin, the death that you deserve, or you can die for it. 
What do you want? This is an unbelievable offer. It's a breathtaking offer. It makes no sense until and unless I'm willing to look inside myself and go, I think I have done things before that are morally wrong. Otherwise, this is just an unfortunate political event 2,000 years ago. So if you're a guest, I want to be really clear. I want to invite you to become a Christian today. I want to be as clear as I can. There is nobody, there is no claim in all of our world, anywhere, that offers the forgiveness of sin like Jesus does. Our world will tell you that there is no sin. Our world will tell you that everybody's got their own opinions, but then they contradict themselves as they say that there are no moral absolutes. Our world will offer you religions where there are no guarantees to heaven, just hope. Maybe, kind of, sort of, maybe you get there. Our world will offer you a lot of religions where you have to work really hard to be accepted by God. Christianity comes along and Jesus says, I will forgive you of your sin despite your rebellion, not after you overcome your rebellion. Buddha's last words were, strive without ceasing. That sounds exhausting. And Christ's last words were, it is finished. That's different. So quit playing games. Quit playing games. Just admit, I've been the center of my existence. I don't like it anymore. I don't want it anymore. I want Jesus to be the center of my existence. That's what becoming a Christian is. Do it. All the cool kids are doing it. I'm doing it too. Fourth, God is bigger than the sins of others. For the sake of time, I'm not going to get to read chapter 16, but if you've got a a background in church, you'd know chapter 16 really well. Samson picks up the city gates of Gaza and marks it up onto a hill and stamps. And you skip this. When you're a Sunday school teacher, you don't tell this story because he does it right after he sleeps with a prostitute. (laughs) You're like, what? And then he meets Delilah because he's really just making lots of great decisions. He's been judging Israel for 20 years at that point. Doesn't think, oh, this is a shady woman as soon as she starts asking for the source of his power and eventually says, oh, if you cut my hair and then the Philistines come in and cut it. Like he's just over and over. This guy is a train wreck who shows total disregard for God's law. So I want to encourage you to read 16 for yourself this week. But when I read chapter 16, and mind you, this is the spiritual leader of the people of God at the time. The writer of the book of Judges is trying to draw our attention to just how bad it is. It's, a try, it's kind of akin to saying, to well, imagine if we received an email right now from a church in Atlanta and say, hey, I want to tell you about our church in Atlanta. I want to tell you all about our pastor. First, let me tell you about his three girlfriends that he has on the side. You know what I mean? Like you don't, this is just not starting off well. And that's kind of what it is to read about Samson. It's just not good. Um, When I look at chapter 16 and I ask myself, how do 21st century eyes look at this story? Um, I've got a couple of concerns, first for the secular mind and then for the Christian. So first, if you're a guest who's investigating Christianity, Um, My concern for you is that sometimes we allow other people's sins to get in the way of us worshiping Jesus. I don't know if anybody understood that, so I want to try this one more time. Jesus tells us that we're a sinner. He says that he'll die on a cross to forgive our sins. 
He asks us, would you like that forgiveness? And we go, he did something bad. To which Jesus goes, and? Right? We go, he started it. Can you say something that is entirely true that is still a distraction? Anybody here ever had one of your children or grandchildren rightly say, but she stole a cookie first? Sister stole a cookie and ate it. Now, I have chocolate all over my face too, I told the truth that sister stole a cookie, but it's only a distractionary tactic. And and here's my call to you if you're investigating faith. Owning your own guilt is the only way toward Christ's forgiveness. I, I I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but this is so critical for your soul. If you're still dancing back and forth with whether or not sin exists, whether wrong, right and wrong exist, um, man, please do not look at the Samsons of the world because our world is filled with them. You see Samsons every time uh, you hear of a Catholic priest that molested children, that's a Samson. It's a spiritual leader who is a total mess who is supposed to be better. That's a Samson. And we can say, during an age full of Samson's, we can go, well, God, you're calling me to be accountable for my sin, but Samson did this. God's like, "Uh, did I give you the authority to change the topic? Every single one of us is accountable, accountable before God for our own sin. And so I'm saying this to you as a warning if you're still stress, you know, wrestling with whether or not you think sin is a real thing or if you can agree that there is darkness in the world and it's inside people and we make evil decisions. Do business with God for your own junk. Yes, other people do terrible things and Christians sinning, which we all do all day every day, Christians sinning does not make Christ a sinner. Christians sinning doesn't mean Jesus didn't empty his own tomb. Not by a long shot. And frankly, some of the people on the news who call themselves Christians, I'm just not so sure. They don't act like Christians. So maybe we should be a little more discerning with what we accept of people's claims. You are not going to get anywhere near the forgiveness of Christ unless you take ownership over your own sin. I've done my own stuff that was offensive in the face of God. I've done my own stuff. And God is a big enough judge to handle so-and-so. And he can handle so-and-so. Gabriel is hardcore into this right now. My three-year-old, he thinks it is his job to worry about Abby. The 18-month-old... Emily and I are saying right now, his favorite words are, Abby, no. Abby, no. Abby, no. (laughs) Actually, you just worry about you. You just worry about you. And for the Christian, God is bigger than the sins of others from a totally different angle. I want to remind you that choosing to forgive is the best path forward. A Christian isn't using the sins of others to say, well, I'm not going to deal with my own sin. You have taken your sin and you've put it at the foot of the cross because you're a Christian. But that doesn't mean that you have not allowed bitterness to grow. That doesn't mean that you're consistently choosing forgiveness as a healthy life rhythm. Some of you have spiritual leaders of your past, maybe spiritual leaders of your present, maybe I have said or done something. Maybe one of your elders has said or done something. And you can forgive unilaterally. Maybe it's somebody you're still in relationship with and you can come to us and seek reconciliation. That'll make Jesus smile. 
Oh, do you know how, how much good would happen in our church if we had the courage to reconcile? So many of the things where we are not reconciled, the other person doesn't even necessarily know they said or did something. Forgiveness is so critical, brothers and sisters, because it's the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of God reconciling rebels to himself through Christ's blood. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we have some announcements. Lord Jesus, show us your bigness and show us your strength in a way that would infect our entire week. God, I ask that the saints in the room would please walk differently and think differently and speak differently throughout their Monday and throughout their Thursday and throughout their Friday afternoon, full of courage and full of faith and tenacity, ready to love a lost world, ready to serve, because their God is bigger and it's gonna be all right. God makes servants out of us. We love you, Jesus, so much, but we ask you to teach us how to love even more. In your great name we pray, God's people said. Amen. A couple quick announcements I'm gonna share verbally and then we're gonna do a video. Charles Ritchie here with Pastor Dennis here in Mexicali. Charles Ritchie here. Thank you. Um, so <clears throat> I took a couple of months to think about this and pray about this before deciding to share it. I wanted to make sure it was really as good as I thought it was. I'll email this out later this week. Somebody out there in the news world who loves Jesus got as frustrated as me with how the news media works. Some Christian out there really felt that media was turning America into two groups and teaching those two groups to hate each other. I know that doesn't resonate with you, but just theoretic, just imagine it, okay? So somebody started a Christian ministry called The Pour Over, and you could go to it right now and sign up, thepourover.org. This is a group of Christian journalists that send the news in a very brief highlights version. They're like maybe 10 stories. They send it to your inbox Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I love it because they tell you very briefly, here's what happened. Here's what the Republicans say. Here's what the Democrats say. And then they go, and here's what the Apostle Paul said about in Philippians 2. And then they give you like a short devotional about how the Christian mind should be thinking about and staying like, right? Here's how to keep your head on straight as a Christian while everyone else is fighting. And then they go on to the next story. Here's what happened. Here's what the Republicans say. Here's what the Democrats say. And here's what Peter said in this verse. And then do a little devotional about it. It's amazing. And so I want to encourage you. I literally, I'm not going to tell you which one. You guys probably know. I have deleted my last news app off my phone. I'm just done. It's kind of the same thing over and over, if you're honest. It's kind of the same thing. So I let these guys tell me three times a week. And the reason I'm passing it along to you is because it's not just been a blessing for me as a human being. I believe there are spiritual implications to it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I do not need to count Russian soldiers on the Ukrainian border. I'm not a slave to fear. So I can preach every Sunday that God is big, but am I filling my mind Monday through Saturday that Vladimir is big? Right? What am I hearing more often? So I just want to encourage you, I'm going to send you a link through email this week if you're in the church database, or you could literally type it into your phone right now. I want to encourage you, if you need to detox a little bit from the constant drip, 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 that's ironic. Anyway, <laughs> to just get the news three times a week from a very hopeful, reasonable Christian perspective, wow, what a nice ministry. 
What a nice ministry. And then two things I wanna share with you briefly. One, I didn't get the four by four signups together this week as promised, I apologize. So I'm gonna push that back a week. Secondly, Pastor Ruben, correct me if I have my facts wrong, okay? The house sold and we only have a couple weeks left with you, correct? Oh my goodness, okay, because I've heard it through the grapevine. I'm not gonna sing the song because the millennials and the Gen Z won't know the song. Okay. Okay, okay. All right, so to our knowledge, we've got a busy church calendar coming up, but to our knowledge, next Sunday night is like the only time available that we have to celebrate and thank the Herreras. So would you guys please join us for a church potluck? We're gonna thank the Herreras, we're gonna embarrass them with how much we love them and hug, hugs and kisses and, and gifts. The Herreras are retire, you never really retire from gospel ministry. Pastor's gonna be praying for people and preaching the gospel until the Lord takes them home. But they're gonna be moving to San Diego here pretty soon. So next Sunday night at five, would you join us for a potluck where we're gonna love on the Herreras and thank the Lord for them. We're gonna do that next Sunday night um, at five. All right, roll that uh, announcement. Charles Ritchie here with Pastor Sanchez here in Mexicali at the Mexicali Church that we're looking forward to visiting uh, coming to Easter week in April. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Sanchez to now tell us about his ministry here and what he looks forward to for us here when we come down here to Mexicali. Hola a todos. Mi nombre es Jose. Hello everyone. My name is Pastor Jose Sanchez here in Mexicali. Colonia Progreso is a community with new people moving in from many areas. We have the opportunity to share the Word of God with them. We organize activities for children, women, and men. We are ready to move forward for sharing the Word of God with the people. Our church is not a large church, and we do not have much. The people who worship with us vary. They live here for a while, then they move. But nearby, they are building 200 new homes, and we are watching thousands of new people come to our community. We have the opportunity to share with them the message of salvation. Our church needs maintenance and to fix the bathrooms for children to use. There are many brothers who are praying for us. We thank you. We also ask that you come and get involved with the children. We believe God has a plan for everyone. The opportunity to come and meet us and to meet the people and children. It will be a great blessing to your life. It may possibly be your first missionary trip, but there is always a first time. Paul made several missionary journeys and each of them had a purpose. Embrace the faith of the gospel and you can sow the seed they can sow the word of God in the heart of the children and the people. Thank you, Pastor Sanchez. Helpers needed for Mexicali are people who can work with children and youth, music, food preparers, maintenance workers, and community visitation. See Charles Ritchie or sign up at the back table after the service. Have a great week. Pastor Charles is going to be at the sign-up table.